friends and family. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to Every Day is a Saturday with your host, me, myself, and I, Brian Ruth. Hey, guys. I want to start off by thanking everyone for supporting me up to this point. I really appreciate it. I've gotten some really cool messages from some friends and family. Um, I'm glad that people are actually listening to the show and some of you guys are really enjoying it. Um, if you guys are watching me for the very first time, I have started my journey off on the audio side. So you can probably catch some of my earlier episodes on Spotify, Anchor, um, iHeartRadio, Google, Apple Podcast, any of the platforms that basically play um, podcasts. You might find me on there. Um, anyways, guys, today you guys are watching episode 15. Yes, 1-5. I can't believe we are already there. This is basically, uh, this episode is going to be called Incoming. And this uh, episode, I'm going to go through my experiences over in the Middle East. And when we started taking SCUD uh, missiles and stuff like that, and um, we'll go ahead and get into that. So if you guys haven't had the chance to check out the previous episode, you will be able to understand how we got to where we're at if you go back and listen to episode 14. If not, go ahead and you can go ahead and get started right here and uh, go ahead and listen on in and see where we're going. friends and fam let's go ahead and get into today's episode episode 15 incoming all right guys so if you guys have been following the story something i left off on on in the last episode is um that weather in kuwait and how crazy it was like the first day that we got there um we set up a, a little tent and we were like on a big, it was like a huge black asphalt. And um, they had us set up a GP tent is what we called them. And uh, we had cots and we set up our cots. And as we're sleeping, you know, through the night, um, all of a sudden, it's like uh, I hear the sound of, it sounds like water, you know. And at first I'm thinking, you know, obviously I'm thinking I'm dreaming. I'm like, again, I can't be hearing water. And it sounds it almost sounds like a straight river's going down and um i i wake up and i grab my little my little moonbeam it's also a, a flashlight but uh we called it moonbeam i turn on my moonbeam and i'm looking and i'm like holy shit dude I'm, i could see my buddy's boonie cover it's going down the middle of our uh uh down our cots and and I'm like, hey guys, oh shit, hey wake up! All of our stuffs on the ground, and you know uh, we had sea bags and stuff like that, and everybody's got you know obviously left them open, and some people have their other bags, and everything's kind of on the deck, and man, it's getting soaked, and we're everybody's like, hey get your stuff, so we're trying to get all our stuff up, you know, and uh, we're just like, what the hell is going on, man? First night here, we're you know there wasn't any signs of any kind of rain or anything like that and boom we get a flash flood dang near uh the first night that we're there so anyways we have to you know pick all all our sea bags up and the next day we're all having to air dry all of our stuff up and you know 
back to uh, duty as usual. Um, now we did, you know, start to learn that, you know, it did get some rain there because I think all of us were under the impression of like, oh, it's just a hot desert and stuff like that. No, they do get some rain there. And when it rains, it, it literally like kind of flash floods there. And then after, typically after kind of any little amount of rain, it, it follows with these huge sandstorms. And I mean, these sandstorms are absolutely crazy. Uh, we ended up having to use goggles and like, um, you know, bandanas and stuff like that, handkerchiefs and whatever, and just anything to kind of cover our faces because um, these sandstorms were crazy. And you could literally see these things coming from a distance. I mean, uh, it, it, <laughs> it's like kind of in the movies, you see this huge ass wave and it's like, oh shit, man. Everybody's like, all right, get your stuff on, get ready. And, you know, and sometimes you got to go buckle down on your tents and all that stuff. So those sandstorms over there were something uh, that I never, I mean, I had dealt with some little, little uh, sandstorms, you know, kind of where I live in the desert, but nothing to the extent that I did over there in the Middle East. I, I can't, you know, can't, uh, there's no way that they could even come close to, you know, the kind of sandstorm that they have over there in Kuwait. Um I can't believe, you know, I mean, some of those people, you know, actually live in the middle of the desert in tents and stuff like that. And um, I know, you know, through our experience is that, that <clears throat> sometimes when those sandstorms would come in the middle of the night and we all slept in tents, you know, and uh, those sandstorms would come and we'd have to try to get outside and making sure we're tying down these tents and we would wake up some mornings just covered in dirt because the visibility uh, during these sandstorms were pretty much zero. And uh, the tents that we stayed in were uh, like fabric. There's, there was no keeping out any sandstorm, you know, so anytime there was dust and sand, we took it. And uh, it was crazy just waking up and the next morning, like just like trying to get yourself, you know, all this dust off you and stuff like that. It's all over your rack. It's all over your hair. It's all up your nose. I mean, it is everywhere. I cannot um, get over the, the amount of sand that you deal with over there. You think going to the beach is, uh, is you know, something to deal with. Try, there's just no breakaway from that kind of sand. Absolutely none. Um, but anyhow, uh, that that part right there was, is, it was crazy. And uh, in addition to that, there was t days that the temps would reach over, like, I mean, I think the hottest day we experienced um, in Kuwait was like 136 degrees. Absolutely scorching. Um, the water that we had to drink over there was pretty dang on hot because we didn't have any freezers or anything like that. But we did have some connections. There, we were connected with these the, uh, their NBC guys. And they had freezers, and, and we would use their freezers to kind of throw some of our waters in there and give ourselves a little bit of some cool water. Um, it wasn't always that they would let us do that, but it was sometimes. I mean, and they just handed back to us like a block of ice, you know, and over there, I mean, the the it would melt so fast. I mean, I can't even <laughs> tell you how hot 136 degrees is. And, and even at the nighttime over there, the damn – you know, temperature would still be over a hundred degrees, sometimes like 110 degrees. And, um, it was so stinking hot that 
I would be sitting there in my rack with my like water bottle and just sitting there, you know, dumping it all over myself and stuff like that. Cause my gosh, there's just it, the, the, I can't even express to you how hot it was. They did have some kind of uh, coolers for us inside the tents, but you know, sometimes those tent, the, um, the ACs that they provided didn't work because they were generate, uh, ran by generators and those generators would typically break or the guys that were in charge of them wouldn't would forget to gas them up because they had to, uh, you know, they were supposed to have those things gassed up on the regular. So that they never ran out, but you know, human error dudes, you know, messing around sometimes, sometimes we would go and be super hot because the thing about it is, is, um, they needed to keep those tents, you know, pretty much try to keep them cool 24 seven because, there were there would be guys in there trying to sleep because maybe they were, you know, uh, on guard or something during the night. There was always someone working. It was twenty four seven over there. It wasn't like hey, lights out over here and everybody sleeping. Nah, um, you know, we're obviously in the combat zone, so everybody was always awake. And even us, you know, they would put us on guard in around our uh, area at night. And one time. <laughs> We caught these um, Australian guys trying to, you know, jack our MREs and stuff like that. And uh, I remember Stassar comes out and he just about rips into those guys and, um, you know, makes them guys put everything all back. Uh, <laughs> they thought they were slick. Uh, these UK guys, they thought they were going to be able to steal from us. And they don't realize that we, you know, we stand watch. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, we, you know, uh, other than that, I mean, we, you know, we basically uh had guard i would say i don't know couple couple days like couple days during the week and then um it would be like a good long shift and it was just walking around the supply area motor t area engineer area we all kind of shared one big area so it was uh the the guard duties was uh split amongst those different uh groups so it's you know they sometimes you got a little bit more of a break than others um it all depend how you uh were in in uh that day or something sometimes guys would end up pull extra duty or something because uh they you know were messing around during the day or something like that and the staff is just like hey he needs to go uh put him on extra guard tonight you know he can pull the sucky shift <laughs> um but anyhow uh let's see let's go ahead and get into the good stuff huh I'm going to go ahead and start off by uh, reading you guys an article. Um, this was an uh, article March 21st, 2003. There was no warning, just the screech of the incoming missile, then a violent blast. PSC Justin Davis, 19, of Chattanooga, was guarding the perimeter of this camp, headquarters of the 1st Marine Expedi Expeditionary Force. He saw a big ball of fire and knew... We're finally at war. PSC Mark Johnson, 18, from Auburn, Alabama, saw a big fireball in black and smoke. He wondered if it was a plane as the ground shook with the impact. It was 10.28 a.m. at Camp Commando on the day the Marines would invade Iraq. But first, the war to the Marines in the form of an Iraqi CSS-C3 seersucker cruise missile that smashed into the sand, the sand 
outside the camp in northern Kuwait military, officials here said. It was the first in a series of at least four missiles launched today against Kuwait, at least, at least three of which appear to have been intercepted by defense Patriot missiles. The launches and false alarms that sounded with increasingly regularity as the hazy desert day turned to night made for a jittery first day of war in Kuwait. Soldiers in the desert camps spent the day scrambling in, out of, in and out of chemical suits and gas masks and taking shelter in concrete bunkers. At Camp Commando, Marines rushed to take cover no less than 12 times today. At Champion, Maine, a base for the 82nd Airborne Division, the loudspeaker blared, dynamite, 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 several times throughout the afternoon. Incoming scud came the warning. For the civilians of Kuwait City, it was a day of confusion and anxiety of trekking to uh, newly opened basement shelters and hearing the unfamiliar sound of civil defense sirens. I don't have faith in gas masks, only in God, said Mohammed Idez, a Pakistani immigrant who stood on a city sidewalk as alarms blared and they kept on sounding into the late hours, repeatedly sending Kuwait's dashing for shelter. No casualties or injuries were reported and officials quickly announced there was no evidence that the missiles were armed with chemical or biological agents. Iraqi President Saddam Hussein was long threatened to strike at Kuwait in response to its decision to host more than 100,000 U.S. troops preparing for the invasion. The retaliation came hours after President Bush announced war had begun. The Iraqi strike started in the morning with the Seersucker cruise missile, a weapon based on 1960s Soviet technology. It has a range of about 55 miles and flies low to hug the terrain which military officers believe is why their early detection equipment did not pick it up in time. Most likely, it was fired from the port of Um Qasar or somewhere on the Fall Peninsula. At 12.30 p.m., officials said air defense systems installed in Kuwait by the U.S. military kicked into action when a Bill 100 missile was fired from a site north of the city of Basra a major port at an uncertain target in western Kuwait. It was destroyed by a Patriot battery at Camp Thunder, 35 miles west of Kuwait City. The Patriot is supposed to fire two missiles per incoming target, but the first misfired in some unspecified way so that the three Patriots altogether were fired, the official said. At 1.28 p.m., another Abil 100 was launched toward the western desert, where the Army's V Corps is located. It was intercepted and destroyed by a Patriot missile fired from near Kuwaiti capital, according to officials. A third missile was also intercepted. A missile of uncertain type was fi fired later, but Marine officers said it fell harmlessly into the Gulf. A British officer said it, it its target may have been major Kuwait oil facility in Fahahil. There were conflicting reports about the type of missiles fired, including a suggestion that Al-Sahamad II, an advanced version of Abhil, was used. The United Nations prohibited Iraq from possessing the Al-Sahamad II, the grounds that is its range exceeded the loud 93 miles. Before evacuating Iraq this week, the UN weapons inspector had supervised destruction of more than 60 Al-Sahamad 
2s, Iraqi officials have said the Bill 100 has a range of under 93 miles, but U.N. officials had expressed concern that it be, uh, may be modified to exceed the limit. In the military camps, the strikes came to no surprise, but nonetheless led some Marines to dash half-naked from showers into nearby concrete bu bunkers. Once we initiated our attack, we certainly anticipated they would return with surface-to-surface -surface fire, said Major Michael L Lindemann, an intelligent officer working for the top Marine commander, Lieutenant General James T. Conway. At Camp Commando, the Marines soon discovered the seersuckers' aftermath, a crater about two feet deep and about four feet across, and a second impact scar. In Kuwait, in Kuwait City, the first air raid sirens echoed through a quieter than usual downtown just before 12.30 p.m. Some residents grabbed for gas masks and sought out emergency shelters. Others uh, gazed with more curiosity than concern up into a hazy, unstreaked sky. In a barbershop, Abdul Abahamni, 52, a surgeon and medical school dean, said the sirens triggered memories of 13 years before when Iraq occupied Kuwait and hundreds of war and tortured victims were brought to his hospital, some with eyes and fingers removed. The missile attacks left him sickened and the realization that Kuwait remains the target of Saddam. When the sirens began, the stairway of Sheraton Hotel became clogged with dozens of guests who hurried to a basement shelter set up by the hotel. Some were journalists who proceeded to broadcast live with their gas masks on. The guests struggled into gas masks and chemical suits and in a few cases began crying. That in turn caused a wave of panic to sweep through the room. But a few minutes later, the sirens ended and the guests were directed back upstairs. I was surprised to see the shelter was not sealed, Tamara El Rohifia, a media advisor with the International Committee of the Red Cross said in lobby later. The number one priority for safety is a sealed room and the gas mask. An hour later, the siren sounded for the second time and the shelter filled again. This time there was no panic, only a growing sense of what next days might bring. Glasser reported from Kuwait City staff writers David Finkel and Kuwait City and Monte Rio at Champion, Maine contributed to this report. U.S. soldiers from the 3rd Battalion, 7th Infantry Regiment, pull on gas masks during a missile alert. Iraq launched at least four missiles against Kuwait. All right, guys. That was basically a little article that I wanted to give to you guys before I gave you guys my version and my experience of what happened. Okay, so that day for me, um, it was the early morning, right? Um and I had just gotten off the phone. Um, I don't remember exactly who my conversation was, but uh, I do recall um, as I got off the phone, I was walking through. They, we had these um, wooden doors that the uh, combat engineers made us. Um, you know, we had taken over uh, a building that was used back in Desert Storm. Um, I guess uh, the Iraqis came to this place, overtook it. And they, you know, um, tortured and killed a whole bunch of um, Kuwaiti officers and as well as took a whole bunch of them as hostages. Um, so this place that we were at was is kind of historic in some sense. So we ended up turning in a concrete building into kind of an office area. We had combat engineers come in and they fixed it up for us. 
so anyways um as i'm getting out these wooden doors uh my buddy ojeda is sitting off to the left of me so as i'm coming out the door i'm looking at my buddy ojeda and i'm getting ready to kind of talk to him because he's sitting there he's checking his email and stuff and um i'm as i'm getting ready to say something to him all of a sudden i hear boom and I'm like, what the frick, dude? I'm just like, bro, what is it? Run! And so I go back through these wooden uh, double doors. Uh, all of our gear is back in. Um, they made like, I think there was about four rooms or something like that that we'd go put all our gear. We, you know, our M16s, our um, gas mask, and, you know, all the things that we needed for the day. So I, I go running back there, go and grab my flak jacket, my Kevlar gas mask m16 all that stuff and i'm you know i'm grabbing it and as i'm running and i'm going through these as i'm trying to get through these wooden doors they come flying open and here comes this guy well me and him go colliding boom well me <laughs> being the bigger dude in the situation i knock you know my buddy funes down and i'm sitting there like are you okay bro and he's just like yeah and I'm like, my concentration is like, holy shit, man. I need to get to this motherfucking scud bunker that we've been working on this whole time because, um, oh, shit, they know where we're at. They got us dialed in. You know, here we are. They just had um, uh, that night prior, they just declared war. So the whole night we're all wondering, like, what the hell is going to go on? Well, earlier in the morning, that's when it first went on for us. And so um, we're just like, damn, here we are. We're at war now. So uh, running out to this scud bunker as fast as I can, I go jumping on the backside because we made uh, two two different entrances in there. And then we made, um, like, exits and stuff like that. There's a certain way you're supposed to make these scud bunkers. So if you ever end up getting trapped, you know, you got to have more than one way out. And then if you... And if those two uh, places in or uh, out got blocked, um, you know, there's we, we made other ways that, and we put like a pickaxe and we put like MREs inside there. Um, we really had this scud bunker set up. It was called the hideaway. Um, <laughs> I'll have to dig through and find some of uh, the photos that I have from it and uh, post them so you guys can check it out. But anyhow, um, I'm in the scud bunker, you know, one of the first uh, first guys in um everybody starts you know piling and running in and um my the way i'm handling this situation is uh i start laughing and and i'm not laughing uh because i think you know anything's funny i don't i obviously don't think it's funny it's it just the way my my reaction was i don't know if anybody out there you kind of have a nervous reaction which is laughing um that's that's something that happened to me during the situation so I got people sitting across from me who are practically crying and, you know, freaking out. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, my gosh. You know, because part of me is laughing because, for one, I, I, you know, I remember running into my buddy on my way out. Two, I'm thinking, oh, shit, man, we made it. And then three, I'm like, fuck, holy shit, we're like sitting ducks now, man. You know, and I'm like laughing in my head like this is not cool. No control over this situation. We're just sitting ducks and we're getting launched at um, this first missile had totally went undetected. There was no alarm. We got the alarm after there was impact. And I mean, there was well after impact, but um, they did not detect this. 
um, first missile. So um, as we're sitting in there and I'm laughing, uh, my staff sergeant, who uh, if, I don't remember if you guys, t- you know, telling you in the last episode, he's a big dude. He it was on the Marine Corps bodybuilding team, uh, just, you know, muscles on muscles. Uh, this dude comes running up to me and, you know, wearing gas masks and whatever, and he just like punches me in my chest and kind of pushes me back into the wall. And he's just like, hey, Double Dog, do you fucking realize that we may be putting some of your buddies in body bags? And that's when it kind of dawned on me, like, oh, shit, man, he's kind of right. Because, um, you know, from from where I kind of felt, I, I didn't see impact, but I can feel the impact. Um, it sounded like someone jumping into a pool, doing a cannonball, and then like, boom. And then, like, uh, there was, like, a ripple effect. You can definitely feel it in the ground. Um, so, you know, it's it, it was a super loud boom. And, and it looked, I mean, from the, like I said, from the sound, I mean, from the sound of it and from the feel of it, it looked like it possibly could be within our camp. So I'm thinking, man, he might be right. And I knew uh, some of the guys that were over around that area where it had looked at, uh, possibly uh, having impact. Um, so I'm like, oh shit, man. As in, he's just sitting there fucking pounding me and come, you know, stop laughing to see that fucking boy. And I'm like, all right, that's all right. And, you know, um, so we sit in this uh, scud bunker for a little while. Uh, so what they got to do now at this point in time is they send out the NBC team, which is uh, guys that were, uh, you know, I t- talked about where we stored our water and stuff. Well, these guys would have to get full suited up and they had all this equipment and they would have to go test the uh, impact area to make sure that there was nothing, you know, no dirty bombs. And like, and then we didn't need to constantly be wearing our um, full mop suit. So they send these guys out and uh, once they go out, they inspect the missile or whatever, the impact area. They determine that there's nothing wrong with it. Then there'll be an all clear um siren that comes out and um then we basically can go back to our duties now they did teach us in while we're in there there's different sounds for each alarm there's you know like a long alarm for and it it like keeps going very long or there's short little dot ones i mean it all determine it all depends on uh the certain sound of the you know thing whether because there's also alarm for if we had um you know, enemy on ground coming in, attacking us, there was a certain sound. If there was, uh, you know, missile in the air, if there was air attack, all these different sounds we had to be aware of. Um, so once those guys determined that the, the uh, bomb wasn't um, dirty anymore, we, like I said, we went ahead and went back to our uh, areas. And then, um, it w- I mean, it wouldn't be much longer after, though, getting the all clear sign, though, that it would just constantly start going off. I mean, it was crazy. And um, we ended up, they ended up setting up, um, like in the article, the article is very accurate. Um, they ended up setting up these Patriot uh, machines, the Army did, and they put them up in the, um, in the hillside. And um, you would just see these little missiles taken off and they would take things up out of the sky. They definitely had camp commando Kuwait dialed in and they knew exactly where uh, we were in this desert. And I mean, who wouldn't know? I mean, we had, you know, third country nationalists, we call them TCNs. 
um, attached to us, which were, you know, um, guys from all over uh, the Middle East region who, you know, worked and we, we would have working parties in the American side. And, you know, these guys would be embedded. Well, I, I mean, I don't know how well these people were in, uh, you know, uh, checked out and, and if these guys were legit. So they were probably going back and giving intel. And because, man, where we were at, it's like you kind of feel like, damn, I mean, they really had to uh, know exactly where we were at. And they knew a couple areas that were pretty um, indiscreet. I mean, I guess the Kuwaiti uh the, where we were at they you know i guess they knew that it was once occupied um by the kuwaiti army but uh you know it, it was since deserted that's what we took over it um but they definitely had us on the radar and it was a constant run to these scud bunkers to the point that um some most of us actually slept in the scud bunker um during the nighttime because even at nighttime, the scud alarms would keep going off. And every time the scud alarms um, were going off, you had to make sure you ran and got yourself into uh, whatever scud bunkers were uh, built. Um, a lot of them weren't to the extent of ours. Ours we made underground. Most of them were um, concrete barriers with some um, sandbags on the outside of it. But like ours was kind of the state of the art. I really do got to um, look for uh these uh uh pictures that i have of it because I, I we really dug it and a lot of people um would make go and uh use it every time there was a scud alarm and it it was no joke it was so bad there was guys who would run and and make their way you know to uh the the bunker practically naked because you know some of them were trying to shower uh you know or whatever in the midst of trying to change over and the scud alarms would go off and these guys would just be, you know, hightailing it no matter what. And, uh, because that's what they told you to do. Um, there did get to a point in time where I felt like people got a little bit, uh, desensitized to it. And, um, especially late hours in the night. And after us doing this for a couple months, um, later on when it would start happening sometimes during the night, um, guys would, you know, stay in the rack. Well, a lot of people started, you know, staff and CEOs or whatever started realizing, hey, where's everybody at, you know? So then they started making it where they would do, you know, uh, roll call and stuff like that. And, and, and if you were still in your rack, someone had to go make sure that they got your ass out of rack. So... Uh, you, you know, that didn't last very long because once a couple guys started doing it, then, of course, everybody started doing it. So a couple times, you know, uh, the alarm would go off and there would be like three people there when they're supposed to be over 50. And it's like, uh, well, I think everybody decided to start hitting the rack because, you know, uh, you know, PFC Jefferson over there started it. So <laughs> it just uh, you never know how it goes. So. um. It was crazy. I really felt like uh, uh, a sitting duck over there at Camp Commando. Um, it was a constant running for our life. And, and uh, I don't know how many times we had to run into those stinking scumbuckers, but I'm glad that we made them. Like I said, it was uh, uh, very important. There was times where some of these Patriot missiles would have impact above our areas. 
and um, we would come out and there would be shrapnel um, you know on the on the ground and stuff like that so um, the Patriots were very instrumental for us in the Middle East and saved all the support groups ass so army guys um, kudos to you guys for uh, whoever manned those Patriot missiles because um, like I said those uh, things definitely saved all the support groups um, you know putting those in in, in strategic areas and uh, also, you know, whoever put out the radars and stuff like that, it was great because most of the missiles got picked up um, after the first one was missed. Um, I don't think that they missed very much afterwards. And like I said, it, between the actual alarms and the actual Patriot missiles, man, we were on point with that stuff. So in the midst of all these uh, scud alarms and stuff, you know, and and uh, running to the scud bunkers, we still had a mission at hand, and that was to support the frontline Marines. Um, and, you know, my group in particular, uh, we had anywhere from the MREs, which are meals ready to eat, to um, we had bulletproof uh, plates. We had, uh, you know, uniforms. We had all types of different gear that supported the frontline Marines. So um, some of our Marines were sent uh, forward into Iraq, and we would have a supply chain from Kuwait into Iraq, and we would be fe feeding that um, supply, uh, you know, whatever they needed, you know, from the rear side, which was in the Kuwait side. They would uh, send the uh, seven tons. We would load up all the seven tons, and uh, some of us would jump on, get on, and we would do um, convoy all the way into um, Iraq, and we had a supply point. And, if there was any kind of trouble, there was guys mounted on seven, I mean, uh, on the 50 cals on the seven tons. And we had hum, um, also Humvees. We also had all the air support that you could think of because, you know, when we had these convoys, it wasn't just supplies. We had comms. I mean, um, as some of you guys know, supply is pretty important, especially during a wartime. Um, you hear the whole thing without supply, you don't fly that whole, you know, <laughs> saying it's a true thing. I mean, supply is very critical. I seen us in action during wartime. And um, so any of you guys that are in supply, if you feel, you know, insignificant or whatnot, I tell you what, you do become very instrumental when it comes time and you do got to uh, support the war. Um, and, and you're attached to a grunt unit, you know, you're going to find yourself in uh, situations that uh, most supply guys may not. Um, but it was a unique experience getting to, to be a part of all that. Um, it was a huge part of history. Um, as I, I, you know, I'm coming across, uh, you know, different um, uh, newspaper clippings and stuff that I didn't even know existed as I'm kind of going through this. Um, so it's it's kind of cool that a lot of it's captured not only you know through my experiences but there's also uh, websites and and um, other articles out there that uh, confirm everything that uh, a lot of us experienced it was um, quite the experience like I said uh, running all the time like you're a sitting duck that's a real uh, rough tough t thing to do um, I don't think anybody realized sometimes it's uh, not exactly fun to be sitting there um, waiting and, um, you know, just having incoming, uh, incoming after incoming. Um, you never know. Hopefully, you know, none of them get through. And, and thank God, like I said, 
if it wasn't for the Patriots that were up in the hillsides um, shooting down missile after missile, um, I don't know if Camp Commando would have made it through uh, this war because uh, they definitely were trying to take out uh, Camp Commando. They must have known that, uh, you know, uh, we contained a huge uh, part of the supply uh, portion besides Camp Doha, which was a huge army base um, there in Kuwait. Um, anyways, I think I'm going to go ahead and cut it short here, guys, or I don't know if it's necessarily short, but I'm going to go ahead and stop it here. And um, I want to say once again, thank you guys so much for watching Every Day is a Saturday with me, myself, and I, Brian Roof. If you guys haven't uh, liked or subscribed on YouTube, please go ahead and do that. It's totally free, and it will really help me out. And also, if you haven't, uh, checked me out on Spotify or uh, Google Podcasts, uh, Anchor, um, Apple Podcasts, IFM, all of them. If you guys haven't, uh, I heart. <laughs> if you guys haven't had a chance to check me out on there, go check me out and give me a like, and uh, it really helps, like I said. Anyways, uh, I hope you guys are having a great day, great week, great month, whatever it may be when you're watching this. But for now, roof out.